Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Saddle up with your hosts of the Mainly Broncos podcast, Cameron Parker of PredominantlyOrange.com, Maddie Moles, and Mile High Sports' Zach Seegers as they break down the NFL with a mainly Denver Broncos focus. Saddle up your horses! Pitter-patter, let's get at her. It is a victory podcast. It is a victory recap podcast, as always. It is great doing a victory uh, recap podcast. Um, Zach could not join us tonight because he and the Mile High Sports crew are over at the Colorado Rockies game uh, against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And currently the Rockies are losing 4-2. Uh, to two. Um, But uh, he is at the Rockies game enjoying himself um, while Maddie and I We'll be enjoying ourselves doing the victory podcast of the Denver Broncos being victorious over the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars 23-13. to 13. You guys can follow Maddie at Maddie Mills Pod. Myself at Cameron Parker P.O. How are you doing, Maddie? Yeah, I'm doing really good. Um, I uh, Crazy weekend of football. Um, it was a good weekend sure. for you. Uh, overall, it was all right. Uh, the Chiefs losing to the Ravens actually cost me um, the the last leg of my parlay. <laughs> so uh, I I would have won several hundred dollars uh, if they just would have come through for me and just won. The one time I'm really like pulling for the Chiefs to win, expected them to win, and it didn't work out. But you know what? Screw those guys. They deserve to have a loss, and they deserve to be cellar dwellers in the AFC West because <laughs> the Broncos are undefeated. That's right. And uh, as it stands now, the Broncos and the Raiders are the, the, Raiders. Two, the two undefeated teams. Uh, you know, not just in the, uh, in, should we say, not just in the AFC West, but one of the few undefeated teams in the National Football League now. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was a fascinating game, fascinating football all across the board. You, your Oklahoma Sooners beat up on my, uh, Nebraska Cornhuskers, but you know what? It was a game and I didn't really expect going in there and, and, and beating OU much, uh, much closer than I was expecting or hoping you, for. I think you had predicted it to be about a 45 to 23 game and it ended up yeah. being a touchdown game. Um, you know, and, and again, uh, not to get too much into that game, but hats off to Nebraska for coming out and playing. Hats off to Adrian Martinez for playing the way that he did. He had a whale of a football game. If you want to make a, if you want to make it into your uh, next step um, as a quarterback, that type of game is going to go a long way for you to uh, to show those NFL scouts that you can still do it um, as a quarterback. And now go go beat Sparty this weekend, and you'll be in great shape. Yeah, they killed. Um, Miami this last weekend as well. So it'll be interesting. Um, just, uh, 
just take it one game at a time, as they always say, especially the way that the Broncos season has gone. You know, let's take it one game at a time. So with this Denver Broncos game, uh, it started out slow. Um, you know, it, it started a, uh, a little bit slow from the Broncos vantage point defensively, um, even offensively. Um, but, you know, one thing I will say um Zach and I touched a little bit about it on the pregame podcast. You know, the the Jacksonville Jaguars probably their best feature on the team. Excuse me, um, was their offense um, and their offensive weapons. Um, and it wasn't just Trevor Lawrence, but you had James Robinson, you had DJ Chark, you had Lavisca Chenault, and you had Marvin Jones. So they have those those sneaky weapons um, that can you know, beat you at times. And we saw it in that first half. In the second half, you know, the defense really settled in and really we we saw it was almost an exact repeat of what had happened against the New York Giants. The defense really settled in in that that second half and really put the clamps on um, that Jacksonville Jaguars offense. But, you know, I I expected a much better uh, showing from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, especially being at home, uh, you know, especially for Trevor Lawrence's sake, and coming out, Maddie, he played well. He, he did. He he did play well. Well, looking at the first quarter, Jacksonville took the opening kickoff, and then they had eleven play, eighty-three yard drive that took five minutes and thirty-nine seconds. They really dictated the game to start. They converted third downs. Lawrence looked sharp. He looked, I was like, man, is he going to tear us up today? Uh, I think it was Fuller that was being used a little bit early on. Sertan a little and, bit too. And then uh, they score their touchdown. They kick it off to us. We kick a field goal with 26 seconds left in the first quarter. That's because we took eight minutes and 55 seconds on our, neck, on our <laughs> first possession of the game. Right. Um so Bridgewater looked sharp. He looked ready to go. We were we were converting on third down, able to progress the and and move the ball down the field until we get into the red zone. And correct me if I'm wrong, this is the 16-yard loss uh that we had on on that uh play action. Uh Josh Allen came off the edge and sacked Bridgewater. I don't. It, it might have been a different play, because um, I, from trying to visualize that play, and, and I, I believe the Broncos were driving the other length of field, and it might have been um, the the particular Josh Allen play. Um, I think was when he was sacked um, on the on that other end. So it may it may have been a little bit later, but nonetheless, that that particular play was inexcusable. It was tough, and let's see. I'm I'm looking. Uh, no, um, I was correct. We had first and goal at the Jacksonville ten. Bridgewater sacked to Jacksonville twenty six for negative sixteen okay. yards. I was on first and goal at the ten. So um, that that sucked. Bridgewater had to know he needed to get rid of the ball. We we worked so hard to get the ball down the field, and then we take that sack. We just eat that sack. And that, that really stalls our drive. McManus, he's money. He hit three field goals, like, and he hit both of his extra points. Um, so props to him. 
you're the only bright spot on our special team. So good job. Way to go. Um, uh, Deontay's Pat- monster shut out too. Eh. Patrick, uh, wide open touchdown from Bridgewater. Really nice uh, designed play. Noah Fant with this bully ball, he was able to get in the end zone too. So at the end of the third quarter, Bridgewater had thrown two touchdowns. And it seemed like at that point, okay, we went up 17 to 7. We ended up getting the ball back. McManus kicks a field goal. We go into the fourth quarter up 20 to 7. And it's like, all right, let's, you know, let's let's finish these guys. We settle for a field goal. And then right after that, 102 yard kickoff return for a touchdown. And if the two-point conversion is successful, we're looking at a one-possession game. Mind you, this is a team that we should have dominated with, with, with how our roster is set up. We should have dominated this team. They missed two field goals. Uh, one of them was long, I think, but the other one was, uh, was pretty makeable. Lambeau, who has, they said it several times on the broadcast, <laughs> had never missed yeah. as a Jaguars kicker kicking in that stadium until Sunday. Until that Sunday, yeah. Two field goals. So the game could have looked significantly different. I know that we took a knee deep into uh, the Jaguars' territory, (laughs) but, you know, you get to the end of the game, things are a little weird. Maybe that doesn't tell the whole story. But a 10-point win looks nice. There's still plenty to be dissatisfied about with this win. Yeah, and... uh you know, and, and one of that being the special teams play. If that special teams play does not happen, um, I I think a lot of us would be feeling even more comfortable uh, with the game that just went down, um, you know. And, and, I mean, the field goal was, was fine. I mean, you know, you pulled ahead 23-7, to 7, um, you know. Uh, that was about a two-score advantage. But then the special teams unit, Tom McMahon's, Special teams unit decided to rose to the occasion on the other on the other side of that and allow that 102 yard kickoff return. Um, you know, uh, I, I will say this: um, it uh, it was unfortunate. There's a lot of speculation whether or not he should have played, uh, but the Broncos did lose Bradley Chubb uh, to an injury. They also lost Josie Jewell uh, to an injury as well. Uh, he uh, Josie Jewell injured his pectoral uh, and is out for the year. So, unfortunately, the Broncos will be out, uh, uh, out um, you know, or missing Josie Jewell for the remainder of the season. Thankfully, the Broncos were able to uh, to draft Baron Browning this year so that the Broncos will be able to see Baron Browning and Justin Cernad at least at some point, uh, at least maybe together on the field. Uh, we saw it during preseason, but... You know, maybe we start to see that Baron Browning and Justin Sternad package, um, you know, a few times here during the season. Um, as far as the the Chubb injury, um, he the the expectation is that he will not be out for the remainder of the season. Um, there's some ver- uh, ver- a variety of reports out there that say, you know, that he'll be gone for, you know, three to four weeks, maybe even four to six weeks, sometime maybe even six to eight weeks. So. Um, and as always, it's, it's probably the best of air on the side, uh, on the side of, uh, caution. So I would expect, um, you know, six to seven weeks, you know, potentially, uh, maybe even in that six to eight week realm, 
you know, but it, it's definitely a tough blow. You know, he was one, myself included, I would not have, I would not have played him. Um, but it sounds like he was consulted by the doctors. Uh, he would sound like he was consulted or so um, down there in Green Bay uh, afterwards, and they decided that surgery was the best thing for him. Um, but overall, I would not have played him in that Jacksonville game. Um, you know, give him the chance to even uh, sit for that game and even the Jets game for that matter, get him ready for Baltimore. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it, it cost the Broncos an edge rusher. Now, but uh, granted, uh the, the loss of Bradley Chubb is huge, right, Maddie? The loss of Bradley Chubb is huge. Um, but thankfully, due to the, the, the rise of the production of uh, Malik Reed last year um, and, uh, and Jonathan Cooper immediately into that preseason, um, you know, stardom as being one of the better defenders that the Broncos had had in the preseason, I, I'm, not, I'm not overly worried with the pass rush, uh, you know, uh, for, for one, Von Miller looks like he's entered a, a time warp and has, you know, found himself again as a, as a demon pass rusher. Um, but, you know, because of the guys like Malik Reed and Jonathan Cooper. So it always sucks to lose a Pro Bowl caliber edge rusher. It's a premium position in the league. You just got to have those guys. We won't necessarily need him. Let's certainly hope we wouldn't need him against the Jets at home in our home opener. At home against Baltimore, really would have been nice to have him there to help run down Lamar Jackson, force the issue, get him in the spots we need. I'm not worried about at Pittsburgh against Big Ben. It really looks like that Pittsburgh offensive line is vulnerable, Big Ben, not mobile at all. At home against Las Vegas, going against the red-hot Las Vegas Raiders and Carr, who's absolutely dealing, that offensive line is blocking their butt off, and they they really look look like a team that's going to be a a force if they can stay healthy, having beaten Baltimore and Pittsburgh already to start the season. So – Las Vegas is going to be a challenge in week six. We're certainly not going to have Chubb back before then. At Cleveland on a short week, I don't see it happening. Um, Going from the game at home against Las Vegas to the Thursday night game at Cleveland, that's a really tough ass too. So at least the next five weeks he is gone. The earliest I could really probably see him back with some of the timelines I've heard is at home against Washington. Um, and maybe that's a game that we ease him back in, you know, mm-hmm. get him back kind of into football shape. But I am circling that game November 7th, week nine at Dallas. We got to have him against Dak. We've got to have him going up against the Dallas Cowboys, who look to be a formidable team in their own right. So, that's gonna be that's gonna be tough. I'm circling week nine. When do you think we get Chubb back? Yeah, I mean, there's some speculation that it was even that Cowboys game. Uh, you know, I mean, so roughly, I would just say for the Broncos. I mean, what is it? Do you have as they as they said, you know, air on the side of, side of caution. Excuse me. Uh, and so, therefore, you know, you're looking at you know, six weeks, which would put it at, let's see, we got the Jets, so that would be one week, Baltimore two, 
Steelers three, Raiders four. Uh, you know, so I mean, I don't know. Because my my only thing is too, you also do have the bye week coming up. You do have the bye week coming up. Um, so I mean, maybe the Broncos, you know, hold them, especially even up until the bye week, uh, for that extra week. Um, but I mean, you know. So I I think for my sake, uh, for uh, for my sake at least, I would err on the side on the side of caution and and not play him until after the bye week. Maddie, I would not play him until after the bye week. Because you're on, it, you, uh, you just uh, you just uh, muted. You're on mute, Maddie. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Uh, yeah, that's when you would bring him back. But when, when do you think he will be back? What is your prediction? You think we hold them out until week 12? No, I, I think he comes back. Um, I will say the Dallas game. Okay. So we're, we're kind of in cahoots there. We, we think yeah. week nine is probably when he comes back. So certainly some of these games seem winnable. New York, I think, is definitely winnable. Baltimore could go either way. Uh, at Pittsburgh, I'm not completely sold yet, for sure. I'm not really afraid of Washington now without uh, Fitzpatrick. I, I think... He added an element to that team against Philadelphia. Like, we may not be in dire straits where we have to rush him back. We could be in a position where we only have three losses going into our bye week, and that's that's a strong place to be. So um, that's interesting. Von Miller now is going to be even more of a focus. I think the biggest stressor is going to be the, the defensive line in our interior pass rush. Draymond Jones is going to have to step up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely got to have him be a menace. We got to have Shelby Harris not just batting balls down, but you know, forcing the issue a little bit. We got to be a little more willing to blitz, especially in some of these exotic packages. I know that maybe we didn't want to show everything against New York and Jacksonville. We're kind of holding some of that stuff close to the vest. But it may be time to unleash that stuff against Baltimore and Pittsburgh. So that's of interest to me. Um, Sitting here looking at the Jacksonville game, something else that's concerning to me is sometimes we go through these spurts where we can't get any push on the offensive line in establishing the run. Yeah. So... I want to be able to keep the guys that we do have healthy as fresh as possible on the defensive side of the ball and sustaining drives and being able to eat up a little bit of clock would certainly help. Yeah. And, and even to your point uh, about the offensive line, uh, Vic Fangio had mentioned, you know, that a lot of those teams are, you know, selling out to let Teddy Bridgewater beat them. 
And as we've seen so far, uh, Teddy has, it, it seems from my vantage point, you know, sur- surpassed the expectations of the fact that uh, he's become a playmaker outside of the pocket. So even though that the, the running game, and they're selling out to stop the run, um, which has created a lot of, to what Banjo said, extreme measures um, uh, of stopping the run, you know, it sort of resulted in the Broncos really struggling uh, in in run blocking and creating those extra holes. In fact, um, one even was pass blocking, uh, and it was the Tim Patrick play. I believe it was Reisner, um, you know, who uh, who had a miss block uh, on that play, and then Bridgewater slid to the left and found a very wide open uh, Tim Patrick on that touchdown play. So. I think it's just a few things here and there, especially with that. And I think with the fact that you do have um, the teams, you know, Giants and Jacksonville selling out to stop the run, it was still a really good sight to see that, you know, it, for, for Bridgewater's sake, that if they're selling out to stop the run, uh, you know, that they, you know, that they, the Broncos and Bridgewater, would make them pay for it. And so far, you know, they've done really well. The only, the only issue uh, two, uh, third down was a big issue overall in that game against Jacksonville. Yes. They, they, uh, they overall did not play up to snuff on third down, which I'm still baffled that the Broncos even put up 20 plus points with as low of a third down conversion that they had, uh, two of 11. Yeah, there were two of 11 and seven of 15 against the Giants. seven to 15 against the giants is not bad. The giants defense uh, particularly the defensive line, uh, you know, is not a slouch uh, for the Giants. But the Jacksonville Jaguars, they have some players, but they're nowhere to the likes of what we had seen with the Giants. So if you can go 2 of 11, you know, props to Jacksonville, man. I mean, they came out to play and they came to, you know, really do everything that they could to stop that Broncos offense. But, um I think a lot of that also was to uh, to Bridgewater in taking those chances, um, those those deep chances when he did, and really uh, surprised a lot of people with him being able to throw downfield the way he did. It may not have been uh, consistent at, a few times downfield, uh, but him being so efficient the way that he is, right, and uh, and the stuff with the these past few weeks has been pretty refreshing for the fact that even against Jacksonville that there were a few times where he could have connected deep, um, you know, with, with Cortland, uh, you know, a few times, um, that even with that, uh, you know, that they were still able to put points up on the board. And I think that a lot of that with Bridgewater was just, maybe he just knew that he had those chances to take downfield and they decided to take it with Cortland. Um, so I, I think that it was, uh, it was nice to see that despite the two and 11, from third down, uh, you know, the Broncos were still able to find creative ways to put points up on the board. But still, going forward, uh, you know, even against another tough defensive-minded head coach and Robert Sala, uh, you know, and then mm-hmm. a former Denver Broncos defensive coordinator and really good defensive coordinator, uh, Don Wink Martindale um, in Baltimore, you know, you have to get creative and be able to move the chains on third down. So that's going to have to continue. And so the Broncos, you know, for for 
all intents and purposes moving forward, have to figure out a way to be consistent on third down if they want to win. So as far as nitpicking, they absolutely, they need to get better on, on, on third down. So we also just need to man up and win our matchup. Beat the guy across, across from you. At the end of the day, when you've got what we think is going to be a solid Broncos team, potentially a playoff team in some people's eyes, I'm still not there yet. You're going to have to line up and you're going to have to get mean and you're going to have to get physical. And there are there are a lot of times on Sunday I was watching the game and I was like, man, are we? Yeah, we're winning. But like. Are they more physical than us right now? And it took a hit really by Josie Jewell on special teams to kind of wake some people up. I think it was like we were trying to just go through the motions and win this thing. Now, Javante Williams played tough. He ran hard. He ran really, really hard. These holes, though, weren't, they weren't like gaping open. Like they, they weren't huge holes for these guys to run through. Melvin Gordon averaging 2.4 yards per carry is not going to get it done. Not saying it's on him, but I'm not, not saying it's on him either, right? The, I was expecting the Broncos to run 150 plus yards in both of these games to start the season. Yes, they're selling out to stop the run. So what? When it comes down to it and you have to beat teams and you have to put teams away, you have to still be able to run the football. And especially if you've got Bridgewater right now, who's playing efficient. He had the one deep ball to to Sutton. You can argue, does he underthrow it on purpose? Because Sutton's a big dude and Sutton could win a battle. I don't know. But he's also missed some some big plays downfield and he's not paying it off, right? Until we can consistently pay that off and hit those things and not have our receivers waiting on the ball to get there. Like what happened with Hamler when he dropped that touchdown in week one. Teams are still going to stack the box, and they're going to have a lot of action within that first 10 yards from the line of scrimmage. You still have to be able to run out of that, or you have to consistently make them pay. So it'd be very interesting. I want to get Tim back on at some point to to get his take, but we're going to have to do one of two things. Bridgewater's going to have to be more accurate down the field. He's willing to take these shots, but he's going to have to like connect on more of them. Or we're just going to have to man up and win our matchup, regardless if they're selling out to stop the run. I mean, sure. And I, I just think that a lot of that with Bridgewater is just that even despite all of those shots that it seemed like he was taking against Jacksonville, he's been rather efficient. Like he's been really, really efficient despite a few of those deep shots. Um, and I believe he's attempted the more the, the most, uh, you know, yardage or 20 or more in the National Football League. And a lot of that was yeah. against Jacksonville. Um, I'm surprised in that stat. I, I mean, I know it's true. I know it's a thing. And it's something I wanted to see going into the season. So props on him for being willing to take the shots. Is he able to connect on them? That's going to be the biggest issue for me moving forward. And to, to play football player for a second, KJ Hamler has come out and said that, you know, the ball – you know, the ball still should have been caught by me, you know. Um, so, uh, so, I mean, even though the, the ball was a little bit underthrown, uh, you know, the, 
that KJ still should have caught it and uh, and still should have uh, made that play. Um, you know, and 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 even too, uh, maybe just maybe, and this is nitpicking, um, but you know, it it very well could be that just the timing between the wide receivers, uh, because we did have a quarterback competition uh, this year. Uh, maybe that the the relationship with some of these re- receivers is just not there yet. If if, if we're going to play that, uh, you know that as far as some of the the stuff with the D passes, but you know overall, uh, you know I mean I, I just say that in in my eyes, Teddy Bridgewater has just surpassed expectations in my opinion, and a lot of that is just because whenever those pocket had whenever the pocket has been breaking down. Teddy Bridgewater has done a few things that I didn't even know was even in his repertoire. The uh, the the play to Albert O in week one. Play to Albert awesome. O in week one. Um, the ability to just extend the play and create a lot of opportunities for yourself and others is something that I think that um, has just been just unbelievable and. You know, it very well could have been just that Giants defensive line. Um, but, I mean, we we, did, we saw it a few times against Jacksonville. You know, his ability to extend plays and not just be able to take, you know, negative yards. There was only really one play or so, which was the sack. And actually, if you go back and you look at that play, um, Garrett Bowles was badly beat by Josh Allen. Josh Allen was uh, uh, – Josh Allen and, and, and Bowles was, you know – I will say this. It seemed like the play may have called for Allen to get upfield. The way that Bridgewater dropped back and then kind of faded to Bowles' side didn't work out the angles the way that Bowles was expecting it to. He was probably expecting Bridgewater to climb the pocket. Um, heard our, our great friends at Broncos Country tonight, uh, last night, talking about this. That may be on Bridgewater in that scenario, not on Bowles, because Bowles was forcing Allen to get up the field and to take that angle. It was a loss of 16. Yeah. Like, that's not on Bowles. That's a loss of, a, a loss of like eight. All right, maybe that's, you know, whatever. A loss of 16. Are you asking Bulls to be faster than Josh Allen? That's a tough ask for any tackle. So I don't know with that play call how. And look, I get it. I looked for every excuse last year to bash on Bulls. I don't know that I can put it on him for that play after after looking at it again and listening to other people kind of break down the play. Bridgewater has to know that, know that the it's going to be a play fake. We're not going to have the, the protection on perfectly by design, and he's it's either there or he's got to get the ball up the heck out of there. Uh, and he did, like, the second worst thing you could do, which is take a 16-yard loss on a sack. Worst thing he could have done would have been just to throw the ball up anyway so he doesn't get hit and it gets intercepted. But So at least he didn't, you know, turn the ball over in the red zone. Good job. But red zone woes still kind of continue a little bit. So uh, something else to clean up for sure. Sorry, I had to go in there and defend Bulls because 
because I think that that was I don't agree with the take. It's fine. No, we don't have to be perfect. No, we don't have to be perfect. Um, You know, we would love to be, but we don't have to be perfect. And um, from my end, from my vantage point, it looked like, you know, Bulls was beaten by Josh Allen. And it seems like there are a few times on Sunday where the defensive version of Josh Allen, you know, seemed like he was getting the Bulls for quite a bit. Um, Still, uh, player, uh, you know, still, uh, you know, Dalton Reisner, uh, for the sake of people that want to hate on him, the, you know, he's not allowed a sack uh, since 2019. Um, You know, um, so I kind of found that stat a little bit insane when I looked it up. Uh, And also, um, he does need to play a little bit better. I mean, even on that touchdown play, uh, you know, he was he was beaten and it was a really good slide and and use of uh, his ability by Bridgewater to, you know, create that, you know, extra opening for him to get to to 10 Patrick and he took advantage of it. Um, So. But no, uh, it, it's fine. I, I think overall, uh, you know, Teddy really has done well. Um, and I'm, I'm really surprised, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, just as the overall play. Um, so I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, you know, do, one thing is for sure, though, if, if there's just a true consistent theme between this team and between getting better each and every week, uh, you know, it's going to end up being the special teams unit. Real quick before we, uh, you know, get to our bucket shower, I want to touch on potentially a new player um, that could be thrown into the mix. Um, Ooh. Uh, you know, as far as uh, uh, the, uh, should we say, the uh, the Bradley Chubb instance, Baron Browning. Um, Baron okay, Browning. Baron Browning's ability to play the edge and uh, and potentially be a Micah Parsons. We've seen Micah Parsons do a transition to the edge for Dallas and really came up big and, uh, you know, and, and really show out uh, for the uh, for that being a good pass rusher. Um, so I think that for. Uh, for Baron Browning, sorry, I. Uh, I don't know why, but my mom was calling. Um, but um, but no, I, if he can be that type of pass rusher and the Broncos can utilize him in one particular instance and due to the injury of Josie Jewell, you know, putting him in a position, you know, like this where they can utilize his talents and in maybe specific plays utilize him at linebacker, I think it would do uh, do really well for him uh, to to really showcase his playmaking ability, and you know, because we're starting to see Pastor Tang get a little bit comfortable. We're starting to see him, you know, really in his first start, you know, really, really dazzle. He's he was slowed down a little bit um, by potential PI calls and uh, you know some some plays downfield, but you know, all in all, Bryce Callahan, uh, you know. Even uh, Kyle Fuller, once even the, def- the, the, the excuse me, the defense settled down, and Sertan, the secondary really started to settle in uh, against Trevor Lawrence, and you know that's what happens. Um, you know, and this is another takeaway too for me uh, is once the defense does not have the lead, what are they going to be able to do? Because the yeah. defense, because the defense has shown clearly that when they have the lead, 
and they have to lead consistently throughout a game, they settle in and they, and they put the clamps on quick. They they put the clamps on really quick so that they that you can't hardly even move the football down the field, which was really rare. Yes, it's Jacksonville and yes, it's the Giants, but still overall last season, you know, uh, it was pretty rare for the Broncos whenever they were ahead by a touchdown or two that they were able to put the clamps on on really anybody. Um, I know that we're saying yes, it's the Giants, but is <laughs> that was a road win to start the season? Rough field to play on too. I mean, granted, I know Barkley's not great uh, as far as health goes, or at least he wasn't there. There was no Evan Ingram, but it's that's still very much the same team that just you know went and on what was that a short week? that they played against Washington football yeah. team and hung 29 points on them. And Daniel Jones played a completely clean game. Completely different that, game too. <laughs> that Washington defense is stout now. Yeah. Like that's potentially the best defensive line in football. Oh yeah, so, for sure. For sure. So I, I mean, I, I, the way I that we were able to, though I, I get it because we yeah. all said the same thing, but like in hindsight, maybe we did a better job on that New York offense than we thought initially. Maybe that offense is a little better than people have given it credit for. And they're going to look real good this week going up against Atlanta. Like they're going <laughs> to Daniel Jones might run for 100 and throw for 300. <laughs> like it could happen. Well, and to play uh the Broncos role and I I talked about it in my article, you know, <laughs> you know being a Sooners fan too. Um but I mean I just think that, you know, if, if we're talking about the playmakers and everything with that Giants team, you don't want to have Saquon Barkley beat you and you don't want to have uh, Evan Ingram beat you and you don't want to have Kenny Galladay beat you. Uh, Evan Ingram didn't play, you know, uh, but for the most part, Saquon Barkley was pretty neutralized and Kenny Galladay was neutralized. And so for the Broncos' sake, it's way better to have uh, Sterling Shepard beat you than any of those other playmakers. Now, granted, Sterling Shepard's been a little bit banged up in his career, um, so for him to to show out and play the way that he did was great. And even back it up on Thursday night, I think he had a really good game um, Thursday night as well. Yeah, um, so, so, so if you're an if you're a completely unbiased point of view, that Giants game against Washington and having back to back weeks of what Sterling Shepard just put up on the board. You're looking pretty good right now with the loss of Evan Ingram and and so on and so forth, uh, with with Saquon Barkley easing back in as well. I've got a bet for you. If uh, I don't know exactly what the prop is, I'm betting it's going to be around 69 yards. Kenny Galladay, smash the over on that. I think he's going to be a stud this week. Squeaky wheel gets the oil. They had the blow up on the sideline. Kenny Galladay is going to make his presence felt this week. So lock that one in. There you go. Um, that's a freebie all the way on Tuesday night. Um, okay. So who was your defensive player of the game? Defensive player of the game. Um, you know, I, I got to hand it to the rook. I got to hand it to the rook and I got to hand it to Pat Sertan. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, in your first career start, um, in replacing Ronald Darby, you know, you, you started out slow. Um, the refs were picking on you, <laughs> you 
they were picking on the Broncos a lot, not Jacksonville, but they were picking on the refs a lot and deciding to call, you know, uh, pass interference penalties when there were some obvious pass interference penalties on Jacksonville that were not. Uh, not oh my god. Uh, the, the tug on on Sutton. Oh my God! How do you not? Yeah, the ball barely missed his hands. How do you not throw that flag? Yeah, exactly. Uh. But uh, I'm gonna give it to Pat Sertan. Um, imp- and just briefly before I get ca- before I get carried away, I tweeted it. But before I get carried away, tell me that play that he made. <laughs> tell me that play that he made on the sideline did not look like Champ Bailey. Real quick, please, before I overreact. <laughs> no, I mean, well, you could say that. You could also say it looked like Chris Carter working the sideline, like New Hopkins. Like, he, he, like he looked receiver. like he was the receiver. Yeah. Yeah. Great footwork, great presence to know where you're at on the field. For one, even to just get yourself in that position to mentally be able to process what you need to process to get to that spot. Dude, he's a stud. Yeah, he's going to make a few mistakes. You know, he's going to get he's going to. Get owned a little bit here and there. But, man, you definitely can see the talent there. And the way that he uh, – it was a really great breakdown by a friend of the podcast, Cody Rourke. Um, You know, if you guys want to go check it out. But it was a great – but he he talked about how he was able to shield the wide receiver and push him out of bounds and thus creating – the play for himself on that play that Trevor Lawrence made. Um, but to your point, I mean, he, he to really anyone's point that it's been able to break down the, the film, he's looked like a wide receiver. The guy's just, he boxed out in essence, uh, I believe it was Chark, uh, is who he was, or Jones, it may have been Jones, um, is who he was boxing out. Uh, but I mean, he boxed out Jones on the sideline, had the presence of mind to still catch the pass, and get two feet down before the hand went down. It was really close. I mean, I, we won't <laughs> argue that. It was really close. But the fact is, it was called interception, even by the naked eye uh, as well. And so for to see those types of plays, and then once Ronald Darby gets eased back in, that alone, that play alone, just shows you the sure uh, playmaking ability of Sertan uh, so maybe even two, and here's a wild card uh, with the loss of Josie Jewell. What is his? Uh, I don't know if you were with us on this podcast, Maddie, uh, but Zach had mentioned about the yeah. linebackers uh, stuff with Sertan. So we very well might be seeing also um, a nice little Sertan package at linebacker. Uh, you know, so may so as far as just being a playmaker, the fact that you have uh, well, I'll get carried away on this for a second. It looked like a wide receiver, but it also looked like Justin Simmons on that sideline intercepting a pass, mm-hmm. literally. Um, so hats off to him defensively. He was my defensive player of the game. What about you? Who was your defensive player of the game, uh, defensive bucket shower? Um, I got to go Kareem Jackson, the guy who got the other interception. Um, he was just all over the field. He only had six total tackles. Tied for the lead with four solos. He had the the pass defense, then he had the interception. But you could just, his presence on the field, seeing him there, I think he stabilizes a lot for our defense. Um, so who, who would you, without looking at the box score, 
Who would you say was number one in targets probably for, for Jacksonville? And Marvin Jones Jr., he had 11. Who is number two? Chenault. With seven, and nobody else was even close after that. Um, Chenault, his box score, two receptions, negative three yards. One run, no yards. Shut him down. Granted, I know he got banged up. But seven targets resulting in two catches for negative three yards. Kareem Jackson has a lot to do with that. Um, You know, our utility defender taking away their utility offensive weapon. I think I think Kareem Jackson, we us getting him back. Some people say it's the cherry on top of the Sunday for our defense with how that unfolded, how we got him back. But I think he's so much more substantial than just a cherry. He's not just there to look pretty. He really helps set the foundation for the entirety of the offense. So um, maybe maybe he's, I guess if you want to say he's a topping, he's he's the the peanuts, right? He's the he's what makes it all uh, a little say, a little wild. I was going to say bananas. I was going to say sprinkles because sprinkles are for winners, and <laughs> you know. sprinkles are for winners. Um, <laughs> but Kareem Jackson definitely uh, a stud for us. And then uh, honorable mention, Justin Strenad, six total tackles, four of which were solo. Um, He's really played a good game. Coming in for, you know, Josie Jewell, who had two tackles for loss on the day, tied with Vaughn Miller for the lead. So we had some guys uh, show out individually on defense. Unfortunately, Josie Jewell's not going to be going with us uh, moving forward, but Justin Sternod, that was a very, very positive thing to see how he kind of stepped into that role. We're going to need him moving forward. So um, very interesting there for the defensive side. Now, uh, did we have any uh, any of our listeners, any of our, our followers talk about uh, Bucket Shower? Uh, we did, yeah. And um, it's a good transition for the offensive player of the game. Um, and what better way to, you know, to, to choose the offensive player of the game? We actually had one uh, in that regard, and it was by Alexander Koch um, at Captain Teach 17. And he said, Court, you know, what a way to announce your way back. You know, um, I, I tweeted it, and I'm sure a lot of people tweeted it, but if there's two guys that uh, George Payton should be monitoring for an extension, it's Vaughn Miller. And Cortland Sutton, and I it was Brad Evans too um, that had a uh, I want to say a tweet today, and he said, you know, thinking back to Cortland Sutton's performance, it was something for Cortland because if I'm not mistaken, that was about a year to the day when he sustained his ACL injury, and so for him to put up that type of performance. Um, and that was in essence the exact same fashion that we saw from Cooper Cup that same weekend, a completely different wide receiver, but to put up the type of numbers that he did um, about a year ago from that ACL injury was something else. And even more surprising, and I talked about it too in one of my articles for Primarily Orange, it's really surprising that this record or career high, should I say, has not even been achieved yet for, for Sutton. When you think back to the numbers that he was able to put up with three different quarterbacks in 2019, the fact that, you know, 
he that this is the first time that he's caught nine balls and had you know 159 yards. It just seems shocking that you know that he's not accomplished that before. So yeah, it could I, have been and should have been more than that on the day too. Yeah, twelve targets. Basically, seventy-five percent, right? We specifically asked Tim Jenkins about this last week going into this game and what we thought that Bridgewater was going to mean for Cortland. Did it mean that he was going to use the 50-50 balls or was a lot of what Cortland does going to be neutralized? We have our answer. (laughs) He's still going to be a part of the game plan if it allows. 12 targets on 34 attempts. That's pretty substantial. Catching 75% of that. Yeah, 75% success rate should have been more, or at least, um, you know, one of those targets doesn't count because of the pass interference that wasn't called. Um, At least one of them. But man, Cortland Sutton definitely announced he's back, and he's still not 100% yet. Yeah. Imagine where he's going to be four or five weeks from now once he's like really in in the groove. I tell you, and I, I, I mentioned this too, but it's it means a lot when Cortland Sutton can put up this type of numbers with the loss of Jerry Judy, because Jerry Judy was Teddy Bridgewater's favorite target all throughout camp, and as we had seen even too in the Giants game, he was one of his favorite targets, if not the favorite target. If now you're mixing a not yet a hundred percent, but really, really darn close to a hundred percent, and Cortland Sutton. That's the best of both worlds for Teddy Bridgewater. Now, you will have truly two number ones. We all thought that the Broncos had in Sutton and Jerry Judy. And so now you're talking, you know, two dynamic playmakers on that side of the ball that you will be able to rely on as a quarterback. Um, So, um so, yeah, it was really impressive. Another one, um, we just did the defensive uh, player of the game, and it's fitting. Um, it's I guess you could say it was a defensive side of the game, but uh, friend of the podcast, Jolene, at Uganda's Joy 01. Um, really good follow, by the way. She does some really decent stuff on draft season if you guys want to get us uh, to follow her, even with draft uh, stuff. So she does really good stuff. But she said uh, Fangio um, was her bucket shower. Um, she said yeah. uh, he said he uh, he called a pretty good game defensively. Had the number one pick um, to oh sorry held the number one pick, the hundred and eighteen yards and two interceptions. A slow start, but you know got it going and uh, and that uh, and that and that touchdown on the you know on the after the first drive. So. So yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a it's a it's a good one um, for for that. Um, so I, I I'm not going to go against it. I thought it was really good. Um, for us, Maddie, who would your offensive player uh, be? Offensive player be? Is it obvious? Um, well, I mean, it can't be anybody but Cortland. But honorable mention here, just as like a good for you. How about a guy who got elevated to the starting roster because Jerry Judy's injury, a guy who is a Broncos legend because he once played quarterback for us. Talking about Kendall Hinton coming in and, and one fell. target. 
one catch for two. 15 yards. Like, good on you, Kendall Hinton. Man, like... He's a football player. I, you, you've got... You, he's a football player. And, he, and you have a lot... Kendall, if you're listening, you have a lot of support in Broncos country. You should know that by now. But I, you know, just take advantage of the opportunities the best you can when you're given them. And he certainly did that. So good job on Kendall Hinton. And then for me, you could say Cortland Sutton's uh, 55-yard catch was the play of the day for us offensively, and I couldn't really hate on you for that. But, man, Javante Williams' angry run that they highlighted on Good Morning Football. Oh, my gosh. That's what we saw, though. Like, it wasn't in space quite as much like his run against Miami, but you saw the capability in college for him to have runs like that, to look like Marion Barber, to look like Marshawn Lynch, to look like those guys that you're going to have to bring at times. You're going to have to bring a village to bring that man down because he's not going down easily on first contact. And he's able to get that pad level so low. He's got leverage for days. So (laughs) good Great run. Great run. The physicality we need, the mindset we need. We're going to punch you in the mouth. We're taking it to you. I loved everything about that run and made me just want so much more. So if you're saying if you want to pinpoint maybe your favorite play, you're saying that that would be your favorite play. Is that was saying. my favorite offensive play, that yeah. run. I did enjoy the Sutton catch. Don't get me wrong. I mean, 55-yard yeah. play, like you got to enjoy that. But, yeah, Javante Williams. 1200 I mean, yards from scrimmage it's going to happen <laughs> i i'm that was actually going to be uh my offensive player because everybody was going to be picking uh Cortland sutton and um and and everybody um you know even teddy bridgewater too um i'm not i wouldn't be surprised if someone was to pick teddy again um but uh no that was javante williams was my uh is is my offensive player of the game to everything you alluded to um, coming into the national football league and being a Denver Broncos draft pick that was traded up. He has surpassed expectations already in a lot of different fashions. Um, obviously uh, Melvin Gordon is going and it's not even a slouch to Gordon, um, but it really does show you how complete that running back room is with Javante Uh and and again, it, it's no disrespect to Philip Lindsay. I think Philip Lindsay, he's already shown that he's going to be a really good football player with the Houston Texans, and showed he still belongs in the National Football League. Touchdown but, each of the first two weeks, uh, right? Right. So, um, but with Javante, and especially with Gordon, you're getting two premier backs already that are really good in pass protection. And if there's a few sides, and I talked about it in uh, my Javante Williams article. If there's a few things that you can honestly see how vicious he is as a pass protector, um, it, it's it's really that Jacksonville Jaguars game, really, uh, if, if you were to just really focus on that. There was a few times where that, that linebacker in him, a uh, former linebacker in high school, really showed out on a lot of those pass protection plays where he is – He's willing to absorb the dirty work on that offensive protection side of things and be that extra blocker. So it's almost like you have a third left tackle, really, or left or right tackle 
on your offensive line when you have that capability with Javante Williams. And then you factor in his, uh, we, we, we have not yet actually seen his capability out of the backfield in the regular season. We've seen it a few times in the preseason, but I mean, his tough running is something that you, you honestly cannot teach that amount of drive at times with a running back. You cannot teach that ability to just keep your legs moving. It's a, you know, you can say it's a life example and it is a life example, but I mean, overall his ability to keep plays rolling and moving is something that is not just going to help this team going forward, but it's going to help down everything we talked about earlier, those third down conversion rates. I realize that Melvin Gordon is another core is another running back that, that can be able to get those tough yardage. Um, and is a little bit more of those of that elusive along with power at times. But Melvin, uh, I'm sorry, Javante Williams is that back that can help you in those short yardage plays and will do everything in his power to get that type of first down on a third and short. So for my sake, gone are the days of those third and short plays. That was a huge struggle for the Broncos offensively. If you can have that type of play uh, where Sure, they did not activate Andrew Beck, which was a little bit skeptical for two weeks in a row. Um, but if you're going to get those types of runs from Javante and Melvin Gordon at times, what's the point of even activating you know, Beck even at all? Because this is the type of offense that Pat Shermer would love to run, um, you know, no, no fullback or not. Um, but this is the type of offense that Shermer would love to run. So my, my offensive player of the game is Javante. It feels like a big run is coming from him. It really does. And I know I called it for the before the season started, I said it feels like the Pittsburgh game's going to be the one where it's like Melvin Gordon just can't get loose, can't get loose, and then Williams gets loose, and that's going to be what, what sets it. But I wouldn't, man, if, if I told you, like if we're doing this thing a week from now and we're looking at the box score and it says Javante Williams, 16 carries, 120 yards, two touchdowns. Would you be shocked? Mm-mm. I would not be shocked. I could definitely see that that kind of game coming from him sooner yeah. rather than later. Um, all right. So I've got my thoughts. What are your parting thoughts for this thing as we uh, put a bow on this episode? My parting thoughts is... Uh, to, to quote the very famous uh, Denver Broncos head coach, uh, John Fox. Well, it's better than 2-0. and 3-0. Yeah. We'll be there. This is my thing. Yes, I know you can only play who's on your schedule. Yes, I know you can only handle the business that's at hand, regardless of who that opponent is. Yes, I understand the Broncos have had a lot of struggle in September to start their seasons over the last few uh, the last few seasons, right? Got it. We were supposed to dominate Jacksonville in week two. We were supposed to dominate the Jet or the Giants in week one. We are supposed to dominate the Jets in week three, okay? We're going to be three and zero. I, I coming home. It it's going to happen, right? Even if we win that game forty to nothing, I am not impressed yet. 
I'm not disappointed in anything up to this point. But this is this is the roster. I mean, the roster we have, we're supposed to be winning these games. Teddy Bridgewater is supposed to tear these teams up. And he is. He is. Great. You're doing your job. Awesome. Woosa, Broncos country. Let's let's wait until we play a game that like all these matter, but let's play a game that like it's really the Baltimore game that's gonna be that the, would that would move you up, right? Well, Pittsburgh and, and Baltimore both. You gotta you gotta see it against the top tier teams. If this is going to be a playoff team and a contender, we gotta be able to see it against top tier teams. The Raiders have done it already. The Raiders have already done it. The Raiders beat the team that just beat the Chiefs, right? So they've done it. Broncos have done nothing yet. 2-0 sounds nice. It's fun. 3-0 is going to sound even more fun. Wait. Wait. I'm on team no injury this week. That's the team I'm rooting for the hardest because we should dominate the Jets. Zach Wilson, maybe it's a thing in the water playing quarterback for, for the Jets. He's probably going to be seeing ghosts soon. He's like, is it October already? No, kid, it's not. It's still September. Yeah. But the ghosts are coming. We're going to be fine. We'll be all right. But, like, let's not anoint Teddy Bridgewater to be, like, league MVP quite yet. Okay? Uh, yeah. And, and and as far as, uh, you know, just overall sake, you know, for for Teddy, um, if you want to prove you can be a good quarterback, this is exactly the way that you need to be going about it. You need to beat those teams. You need to beat those teams like the Giants, and you need to beat those teams like the Jaguars and the Jets. So, uh, good on Teddy, and and really just doing what is uh, you know, what is required, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> uh, my parents always say that all the time: do what's required, whether you like it or not. Um, yeah. So, um, so good on Teddy, uh, in winning against, the you know, the, the, J- the Jaguars and winning against the Giants. And speaking of the other New York team, uh, and, the and the Jets will have Scott Mason, a play like a jet that Woo! will be joined. That will be, that will be joining us on Thursday for our uh, recording of that, that will be debuting on Friday. And we'll see if he's uh, if he's willing to hop on for a post game podcast uh, on uh, on Monday or Tuesday um, of that following week, where we can talk about it from the Jets' perspective and uh, and the Broncos' perspective as well. But you know, for uh, for my sake, I will say you know because uh, Maddie, we did this last year. Unfortunately, you know, you, you couldn't make it last year, um, but uh, we we did interview with Play Like a Jet last year, and so far. Things are looking up. The Broncos are one and zero against the uh, against the Jets. It was a uh, it was a wild game last year, um, but uh, you know it was one that uh, you know for for our sake, mainly Broncos is one and zero against play like a Jet. So we're things are looking up right now. Well, we get to play the Jets. That's definitely looking up. <laughs> oh, but um, if I had um, I, anyway, but yeah. No, it, it's going to be fun. Um, so tune into that. Uh, it's going to be an exciting show. Jets fans alike as well. Please tune into that show uh, for the pregame show um, that will be happening on Friday morning. And again, thank you to the Mile High Sports Network for always uh, making us feel like part of the family. 
And follow the Mainly Broncos Twitter account, at Mainly Broncos. Follow Maddie at Maddie Mills Pod. Follow myself at Cameron Parker PO. And it's been a little bit since we've talked about it, but you guys can listen to Mainly Broncos over on Spotify, on Stitch, on, I don't know if it's, uh, if you can listen on Stitcher yet, but you guys can listen to on Apple, on Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Um, hmm. So you guys can listen to us. Um, basically, any of those popular sites, you guys can listen to us. And thank you to anybody um, that continues uh, to um, listen to the Mainly Broncos podcast and be a part of the Mainly Broncos podcast family. Saddle up until next time, folks. Until we got this podcast up with Play Like a Jet. <laughs>